Welcome back to part two of Ms. Dean's Veterans Matters PTSD and Returning Veterans podcast. In this second part of the podcast, Dr. Dowling discusses treatment options along with information on how PTSD affects family members and advice to physicians on providing better care for veteran patients with PTSD. How should a physician decide between psychotherapy and pharmacotherapy to treat veterans with PTSD? Is one more effective or recommended? In general with PTSD, psychotherapy or psychosocial strategies are required to some degree for almost everyone with PTSD. At some level, they need to confront the traumatic events and the moral injuries they've experienced, the emotional, cognitive, and spiritual impact of what they face and find a way to talk about it and make sense of it. Sometimes that could be with peers, but more often than not, formal psychotherapy is needed. The Medications, while they're often needed and helpful, are optional. So if one has to pick one or the other, pick psychotherapy. However, for many veterans, particularly who end up seeing a psychiatrist or who may discuss traumatic stress with their primary care doctor, they may need medications to target the nightmares, insomnia, lessen the irritability and explosiveness, and to treat the panic attacks, the vivid recollections, and the co-occurring depression or anxiety. And sometimes there are medications what we call medication-assisted treatment, to treat those substance use disorders, in particular alcohol or opioid use disorders. Although people often like to think of it as one or the other, I would think of it as often both, but always psychotherapy and psychosocial strategies should be strongly considered as part of the solution. What are the different types of psychotherapy that can help a veteran to have reduced symptoms and to cope more effectively with PTSD? When we talk about psychotherapy for PTSD, some of the main principles to keep in mind is that one way or another, a veteran often will have a need to take another look at their traumatic experiences, to talk about them, to write about them, to discuss them with a therapist, and to make sense of them. In doing so, to do this process over and over again, what we call exposure therapy or imaginal exposure therapy, where they're looking at the story and becoming desensitized to the cues or the triggers that cause these intrusion and arousal symptoms. There are different formats for doing that. There's formal cognitive behavioral therapy with exposure. There's cognitive processing therapy where someone may write their story and read it with the therapist and also work on some of the negative thoughts or emotions, the stuck points that they're challenged by, the guilt, the moral injuries. That will happen with cognitive therapy and an imaginal exposure as well. There's also in vivo exposure or in the living exposure, and that's where someone may find that as a result of the PTSD, there's people, places, and things they have a hard time going to or being around, so they avoid them. And little by little, the world gets smaller and smaller. So someone may work gradually with a therapist after they've developed some anxiety management strategies to gradually go out there in the world and go to some of the places that may cause anxiety. Someone may fear going going into narrow alleys. They may have difficulties driving their car because they're used to driving a military vehicle and literally dodging explosives that may be shot or thrown at them. And they may have a lot of difficulty driving in traffic or going into crowded places because of difficulties escaping or too many people to identify as who could be a threat, etc. So they work in a systematic way with a therapist to gradually expose themselves to these things where they're going to feel some anxiety. They may 
experienced some intense recollections, but hopefully not to the point of being intolerable and gradually desensitized to these situations and move further and further to more challenging situations as they're making some progress. Another thing to keep in mind with psychotherapy is a specialized technique called EMDR or eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. This we feel is a combination of exposure therapy where someone may be telling their story, but they tend to tell it in more brief and sequential doses. And while they're retelling their story, in some way or another, there's bilateral stimulation to their brain. In the early years, the patient might follow the therapist's finger or hand as it moves back and forth to activate both sides of the brain. Now it could be with sound and earbuds, or it could be with a computer screen or a large screen and some light or dots or some type of movement on that screen that stimulates both sides of the brain while they are going through the retelling of the story. In some way, and we're not certain of the details, this bilateral stimulation of the brain while they are being reminded and re-experiencing may help, one, uncover some more memory that they can then work on, but two, contributes to desensitization to the traumatic cues and the traumatic memories. So there could be eye movements, tones, taps, or lights, or a screen that's involved with the EMDR. Some cognitive therapists think EMDR may be more of an elaborate placebo plus cognitive therapy. I believe there's more than sufficient evidence, and most experts would also agree that with placebo-controlled studies, that the EMDR is an effective treatment for PTSD, and the bilateral stimulation of the brain, even if we haven't worked out all the details on the physiology of why it's healing, is important and is effective. So we talked about treatment previously. What challenges do veterans face in getting access to treatment? There are several challenges that a veteran must overcome to get treatment. Some of it is individual stigma. Some of it is military and veteran culture that there's stigma, particularly for those who are still serving or maybe reservists or aren't sure that they won't re-enlist. There's a fear that if they get help, they'll be outed, that they won't have privacy, that this could affect their future ability to work in the military. If they're in the military or reservists, they're afraid that if supervisors found out that they wouldn't give them them certain assignments so their peers wouldn't trust them. Because most military service members and veterans keep their composure despite significant symptoms, sometimes they don't realize how many others are also hurting. So they may be facing feelings of weakness and failure that they're so affected by these traumatic experiences, and they may not appreciate that others are very often similarly affected. There are some obstacles to going to the VA. Only about half of veterans use VA services. Some of it is distance. Some of it is accessibility with long waits or hours that are more like regular business hours, eight to five, that may not work depending on one's job or one's family needs. Some of it is a distrust of the VA as a federal organization, just as the military and a belief that they share information. It's not true. The VA doesn't share information with the military without permission. However, the perceptions are there. Some veterans, depending on where they are in the state or their country, there 
are different levels of trust or comfort in the quality of care at the VA. And sometimes there's a perception that the quality of care may not be up to the standards outside the VA. Combination of all these things make it difficult for military service members or veterans to get care. The Veterans Mental Health Training Initiative is to train private practicing physicians and physicians outside of the VA to be more readily available to assist a veteran in identifying their wounds of war and assisting them to get treatment for it. How are family members affected by a service member's PTSD and how can they help? Family members can be affected in several ways by a service member's service and their PTSD. For one, when that service member is deployed, they have to learn how to live their lives, keep their family functioning, worried for the safety of their loved service member, while also the family functions without them. So sometimes it's difficult making that adaptation, and then it's difficult when everybody has adapted and the roles that the service member may have had at home are being covered by the one parent who is remaining or a parent plus an older sibling, an aunt or an uncle, they may have difficulties assimilating that veteran back into the family. They may have their own PTSD because they know of the dangers overseas. They may hear through the family grapevine of some events that have happened and fear for the safety of their service member. But also when that veteran comes home and they're struggling with PTSD, irritability, anxiety, panic attacks, nightmares, they can have anxiety and worries about their service member. He hearing them wake up screaming in the middle of a nightmare, or they may have some sadness or worry that their service member, loved one, may not care about them because they're emotionally distant. Often that's one of the more challenging things, that emotional numbing and distancing is seen by family as though there's a lack of love or a lack of care. Meanwhile, the veteran service member is trying to keep it together and distancing because they don't want to cause what they perceive as more trouble with their anxiety and irritability. Service members often are challenged by difficulties with sharing that they've been affected. So it's natural when they may have their bad days and they may be expressing anger or irritability or maybe distancing that a spouse, a child, a sibling may feel that it's more about their relationship than about the veteran's struggle. So one of the most important things that we can do to help veterans and their family is bridge that gap, teach family members, but also teach veterans how to talk about the PTSD without sharing traumatic details, but share in general ways about the symptoms to talk about their needs and even give their loved ones permission for where they might be okay to ask, you seem like you're a little depressed or distant today. Is anything up? Or you seem like you're irritable, a little edgy. Do you need a little bit of time by yourself? And work together as a family while that veteran is also doing their individual work. These strategies can be very effective. We hear a lot about the negative effects from military deployment and from PTSD. Can you briefly discuss some positive changes that service members or veterans may have experienced as a result of their service? This area of positive changes that may happen as a result of facing adversity, combat, traumatic situation is very important for physicians and therapists to remain aware of. Term that we call post-traumatic growth. 
that out of these negative experiences, there are positives that may result. Not that anyone is grateful for the experiences, but people found a way to survive in a war zone. Even if they were struggling with depression, anxiety, traumatic stress, they tapped into strengths that they may have had that became stronger or they may not have realized that they've had. People reevaluate the meaning in their life. And when they are finished in the war zone, they may decide they want to stay in the military and pursue further advancement to support and teach and mentor younger military service members, or it may translate into missions or goals in their civilian life. They may reevaluate their ethics, their spirituality, their morality. It may bring them in different directions in relationships or work or hobbies. So it's always important to keep in mind that people who survive these experiences have used strength in doing that. I always ask every service member who I'm treating about how they got by in the war zone, even though they may have felt that they barely got by because there's strengths that they can hold on to and we can use to build on so that they can cope better in their life with their stressors, with their symptoms, and as they work to make progress in their psychotherapy and other strategies they may use. It's really important that we keep in mind that positives may also result from the most of adverse or austere or traumatic situations. What advice would you give physicians so they can provide better care for veteran patients with PTSD? I think it's so important that all physicians in primary care and specialty care, if if someone comes to them, that they do ask anyone over 18, male or female, have you served or are you serving? And if they have served, were they deployed? And if they were deployed, to ask a little bit about some of the experiences and see what they share. And if they do share, ask how do they feel it may be affecting them? Screen for anxiety, depression, traumatic stress, and substance use and then start treating it. If they're comfortable, and hopefully most primary care doctors are comfortable picking a few antidepressants that may treat the depression, the panic, and the PTSD symptoms themselves, and develop relationships with a few therapists who are well experienced in one or more of these psychotherapies that may be effective for treating PTSD, have a couple of psychiatrists at the VA or otherwise where they may be able to refer so that someone is able to get the help they need if they feel that they're not able to provide it or if it's a complicated or higher risk situation. In addition, they should keep in mind the Dwyer peer-to-peer program. The Dwyer peers are volunteers who've served in the military and are now veterans who've been willing to say that they've had adverse experiences and had to get psychological help for those experiences. They volunteer their time and they do individual and group support for veterans. They're well-versed in places where someone can get help in the VA and outside the VA in the areas of the state. And if one were to look up Dwyer peer-to-peer, it's likely that they will find that there's a local Dwyer peer-to-peer organization that they can also tap into to assist veterans. Dr. Dowling, thank you so much for your time and for providing the information on the topic. And thank you to our listeners. If you'd like more information about any of the topics discussed here, please go to MISNI's CME website at cme.misni.org and look under resources. Additionally, there are several Veterans Matters webinars archived there. These programs provide participants with one free CME credit for each program.